Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, I wanted to take a look at the book of Colossians from an apologetic perspective. Uh, the book of Colossians has an overarching theme, and that theme is the preeminence and sufficiency of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. So again, the overall theme of the book of Colossians deal with the preeminence and sufficiency of Christ, who is the head of the church. And it's vitally important that uh, as Christians, we remind ourselves that Jesus is supreme, uh, that Jesus is supreme above all things and above all of creation. So as we talk about our Jesus, let's not forget who he is ontologically and functionally. And by ontology, I'm talking about his beingness. In his beingness, he is God. In his beingness, Jesus is divine. In his beingness, Jesus has no beginning and no end. In his beingness, he's equal to the Father. In his beingness, Jesus is fully qualified to die for our sins as a perfect sacrifice. So uh, as we serve our God, let us never forget who we're serving. He's not just a baby born in Bethlehem. Uh, He's not just uh, Mary's little baby. Oftentimes when we think about Christ, we think about the meek and mild Jesus Christ, which He fully is, but also we can't ignore his ontology. He is God, uh, no less God than the Father, no more God than the Father, no less God than the Spirit, no more God than the the Spirit. They are equal, one God who's revealed himself in three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, but yet distinct. So let's not Uh, characterize Christ in a way that's not supported by Scripture. In Scripture, uh, we see that he's fully Christ, he's fully God, he's divine. And really, that's what separates Christ from anyone else. He's the only God-man to ever traverse this earth. Uh, Buddha was not divine. Uh, Muhammad was not divine. Uh, No other religious leader Uh, was divine. They were human, but not divine. So Jesus essentially uh, created all things, which means uh, Jesus also gave life to humanity. So we can't put the created on the same level as the creator. So let's uh, give a background of the book of Colossians. Uh, This book of uh, Colossians was Paul's letter Uh, to give the readers an insight into the false teachings that was being preached 
during the first century. So we as Christians, uh, modern day Christians, we can relate to this. There's a lot of false teachings that's being pro- uh, propagated uh, in the public arena and uh, in the private arena. So we can identify with this letter. Uh, Paul wanted, uh, his readers are given a list of commandments that Paul have highlighted as obligatory in order to fulfill righteous living. So Paul, in this letter of Colossians, details what believers ought to embrace in contrast to what is uh, what needs to be eliminated. He warns again syncretism. And um, I've spoken many times regarding syncretism. Syncretism is an attempt to reconcile what is holy with that that is unholy. It's an attempt to um, bring in cultural norms that may not fit into the life of a Christian. That's syncretism. So, for example, if um, an individual accepts Christ and they came from um, a culture of cannibalism, so a bit extreme, but it has happened, uh, then that individual can't say, I'm a Christian, but I still want to practice cannibalism. If an individual comes from a culture that embraces being dishonest, um, committing usury, charging people more than you ought to charge them, if that's the environment you grow up in, when you become a Christian, you can't no longer continue to cheat people. This was the whole issue with um, Zacchaeus. Uh, when Jesus ran into him, or rather he ran into Jesus, is Jesus challenged him. Now that uh, you say you want to follow me, uh, we need to see some signs. And those signs are for us to uh, get out of our lives those things that we know is not approved by God. So syncretism tries to keep saying that it's okay for you to attempt to be holy but still do things that God has already condemned. And we as Christians, we can't do that. Uh, When the gospel comes into a society, according to the scriptures, that society has to respond. So in Ephesus, uh, their syncretic behavior was that of Artemis uh, or Diana, and they worshiped Artemis in Ephesus. But when people started to accept Christ, they started to give it up, and that's how Paul got himself in trouble because the city uh, leaders were saying, you, Paul, are converting our citizens, and these citizens are no longer purchasing the amulets that the silversmiths were making, and as a result, our economy, our economy is being impacted. So um, we have a problem. We have a problem. This Christian movement, these people of the way, are no longer uh, willing to purchase these amulets, these uh, uh, these idol um, idol images, and we, we're not able to get the sales that we normally would because the Christians, these people that have been converted, no longer have an appetite to continue serving a false god. And syncretism, if we're not careful, would have us bringing in attitudes, philosophies, ideologies, worldviews that are inconsistent with the Word of God. 
So this letter warns us about these type of behavior, warning against the criticism. Now, in terms of the historical significance of the churches in Colossae or ancient Colossae, this letter is a valuable asset to those who desire to better understand that city. The city of Colossae was situated in the upper Lycos Valley in Asia Minor. And in ancient times, Colossae was very prominent. Uh, according to um, Xenophon in the 4th century, an ancient Greek soldier and writer, the city of Colossae was populous. They had a lot of people there. And he also wrote, uh, when recounting the Persian king Cyrus's march through Phrygia, uh, Xenophon says, crossing it, he marched through Phrygia, a single stage of eight uh, parasangs, a fraction of the distance uh, an an infantry could march to Colossae, an inhabited city, prosperous and large. So Xenophon basically in his writing talks about ancient um, Colossae. He gives us a glimpse of what the city is like briefly in his writing. So as we move on, we learn that Colossae at one point was the center of the textile industry in the Lycus Valley. They created wool called uh, Colosseum. And we are familiar with this word, uh, the Roman Colosseum. Uh, in modern terminology, many of us are familiar with that word because it's associated with the Roman Colosseum. But back in ancient times, um, Colossians or Colossae created textile. Um, they created wool that they call Colosseum, interestingly enough. The decline of this great city was due in part to the main road being redirected to Laodicea. And we're familiar with uh, Laodicea in the book of Revelations. So its ultimate demise, however, was due to an earthquake in 60 AD. Uh, The only evidence of its existence today is a large mound or stele located in modern-day Turkey. So let's look at chapter 1 in the book of Colossians. Uh, The letter begins with Paul's usual format, uh, of salutation, he makes it clear in this letter to his audience the following. Number one, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and the preposition by informs us how he became an apostle. His apostleship was not conferred upon him by human efforts, but by the consent or will of God alone. And so uh, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Now, this word apostle um, has some controversy behind it, and I kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit. Um, The question is, are there any modern-day apostles? That's the question. Are there any modern-day apostles? And in terms of hermeneutics, hermeneutics uh, simply means the science and art of biblical interpretation, meaning the correct way to interpret Scripture. And what does Scripture say about this particular subject? apostleship. That's what I want to unpack. So Paul identifies himself as an apostle. We see that clearly. And this term apostle should not be abused. Uh, This unique title, it belonged to the ones who have been called by Christ himself and were a witness to his resurrection. The latter part is important, a witness to his resurrection. Uh, There's nobody living now that was a witness to Jesus' resurrection. So really, 
uh, before I go any further, whoever calls themselves an apostle and you have not witnessed the resurrection of Christ, have automatically disqual- you're automatically disqualified. In other words, the, the words, uh, word apostle were used by God uh, to lay the foundation of Christian teachings for the church. So God called this unique group called the apostles to lay foundational truths for the church, and that's not us. In addition, numerous scripture found in the New Testament clearly demonstrates a finality to those that God had already called who were the apostles. Uh, read Acts one twenty one through tw- uh, 26, Acts chapter 5, 29 through 32, 1 Corinthians 9 and 1, 1 Corinthians 15 through uh, 3 through 8, and this shows a finality to the apostle uh, fraternity. Uh, There are no more apostles. In short, there are no present-day apostles, according to the Scripture. As it relates to this topic, the late uh, Norman Geisler and apologist Ryan Rose uh, wrote the following. They said the first-century apostles understood that God was providing a unique revelation through them, talking about the apostles, 1 Corinthians 2 and 13. They were handpicked by the Lord himself, Matthew 10, 1 through 2, Acts 1 and 26, and had divine authority, Acts 20 and 35. Biblical apostles had to be eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Read Acts 1, 22, 1 Corinthians 9 and 1, and cross-reference 1 Corinthians 15, 7 through 8. The book of Acts clearly attests to the uniqueness and authority of the apostles. In Acts 2.42, the first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship. Throughout Acts, the pronouncements of the apostles were final, Acts 15. By their voice, the church was born, chapter 2. Miracles were performed, chapter 3. Rulers were restricted, chapter 4. The disobedient were judged, chapter 5. The Holy Spirit was given to the Samaritans, Acts 8, and the Gentiles, uh, Acts chapter 10. So this was a quote for Norman Geisler and Ron Rose uh, in their book, When Cultists Ask. So you can uh, look up that book when you get a chance. But Acts one twenty one details uh, how Math- Matthias, who replaced Judas, was selected. He became the 12th apostle, not Paul. Paul saw the, ris- uh, uh, the risen Christ on the Damascus road, so he also qualifies as an apostle. As we read 1 Corinthians 9 and 1, uh, Paul uh, elaborates on that. We learn that the main criteria of an apostle outside of performing signs and wonders, Acts 2.43, is that they must have witnessed the risen Christ, Acts 5.29 and 32. Verse 32 says, we are witnesses of these things. So if you are living today, you're not a witness to the uh, resurrected Christ, the physical uh, witness or uh, firsthand account of encountering Jesus in, this, in his presence. Uh, so you must have witnessed the resurrected Christ. Uh, verse 32 says, we are witnesses of these things, just like I said before. These are the apostles, and they witness the activities of Christ his death on the cross, as well as the resurrection. 
Only those who have performed signs and wonders and witnessed the resurrected, the resurrected Christ can call themselves an apostle. So in short, the term apostle or the 12 refers to the men that Jesus selected to help with, with the kingdom agenda. Matthias replaced Judas's role, and he became one of the 12. Later, God called one last apostle, which was Paul, Acts 9 and 15. Paul was not part of the original 12, but he had the same authority as the rest of the apostles. So when Paul says, I'm an apostle, um, he is right to say that. Uh, he, he, he's qualified and he meets the criteria. But we need to be careful uh, in terms of uh, claiming titles for ourselves that are not consistent with Scripture. So I just wanted to take a few minutes to go over that. Verse 2 in Colossians uh, chapter 1 informs us that the letter was written to the faithful brethren in Christ located at Colossae. Paul sends them spiritual blessings, not just uh, from himself, but from God, our Father, as well as the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we find inference of a Trinitarian uh, formula in terms of um, greetings in the epistles. In verse 3, Paul gives thanks to God. His gratitude was not self-centered, but it was rather altruistic. He thanks God for them, meaning the church of Colossae. He is praying for them. God is certainly pleased when we are not always thinking about ourselves, but also for the welfare of others. And really, that's what Christianity is about. It's not about just us. God takes care of us. And in return, uh, God also wants us to be uh, altruistic. He wants us to show the type of love that he's uh, exemplified to, uh, for us. And that means Jesus has set the perfect example of what love means. Uh, there's no greater love than this, than a man laid down his life for his brother. And that's what Paul is conveying. We can't say we love God who we have not seen, but yet hate the person that we sit, uh, we sit to on the pew every Sunday. We can't say we love God and yet mistreat other people. We can't say we love God and have hatred towards family members. We can't say we love God and yet refuse to be part of God's ministry. We can't say we love God, but yet refuse to give uh, finances toward kingdom building. We can't say we love God and not give of ourselves in terms of uh, helping the church to evangelize, helping the church to disciple. So our love meaning our speech, have to match up with our actions. What we say have to match up with what we do. We can't say we love God, we love Jesus, but yet live a life that's inconsistent with what Jesus would recommend for us. So uh, Paul wanted this church to know that he is always praying for them. And that's what we need to do today. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for our government. We need to pray for our neighbors. We need to pray for our family members. Pray for your children. Pray for your finances. Pray for birth. Pray for death. Pray always. Don't stop praying. That was the theme of Paul's messages. Don't stop praying. First Thessalonians 5.17. 
continue to pray in all things. When you feel like things are going well, pray. When you feel like things are not going so well, pray. Pray when you get up. Pray throughout the day. Pray in the evening. Pray while you're exercising. Pray when you're playing. Pray while you're working. Don't stop praying. Prayer is us talking to God. And in talking to God, we are being transparent with him. We're, we're, we're talking to God in a way that uh, makes us vulnerable. Why? God already knows all things, but he is able, when we're honest with ourselves, when we're able to go to him with our sincere request or with our um, sincere acknowledgement of his greatness, God is able to speak to us in a way that we uh, won't be able to experience him outside of prayer. It's through prayer we get direction. It's through prayer that we receive power from on high. It's through prayer that we get uh, better discernment. It's through prayer that our hearts are molded in a way to forgive. It's through prayer that we are able to uh, see a piece of heaven right here on earth. So it's very important that all of us pray as Christians. Uh, Even if the current situation does not look like the way it ought to be, we ought to pray. Don't stop praying. When we stop praying, it's when the enemy, Diablo, the devil, the deceiver, he's able to um, get a foothold on our lives and cause us to not have the closeness that we can have with Jesus Christ. So he wanted, Paul wanted the church to pray without ceasing. In verse 4, he gives them accolades for their faith. This faith was not found in vain philosophies, vain sociology, or vain psychology. It is rooted in Jesus Christ. Uh, Their faith was in Christ. Uh, The conjunction and tells us how their faith was exemplified. They loved all the saints. And by loving people, we're not condoning the bad things they're doing. We love them ontologically as people, as human beings. We must love people for their existence, but yet uh, separate that from the bad things they do. Just like a mother who has a prodigal child, they love that child, but not everything they do. Likewise, God loves us ontologically, but he doesn't accept all of our worship. He doesn't accept all of our offerings because some of the things we do, some of the things we say, some of the things we think are not consistent with his nature. So we're going to continue uh, this survey of the book of Colossians on our next episode. We thank you so much for your prayers and listening. And to all of our listeners around the world, uh, we thank you so much for um, tuning in and praying for us. And for those of you who are led to give, please go online to srministries.org uh, and you can donate there, or you can send a check made out to Sound Reasoning Ministries to P.O. Box 582-306, El Grove, California, 95758. And remember to always stand up for Christ and to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. It's only by Jesus the Christ that our societies can be changed for the good. We want everybody to get to know Jesus. We want everybody to uh, get to know the creator of the universe. 
And that comes by us proclaiming the gospel. Be blessed and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.